Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I thought it was supposed to be a snowier than normal winter. Diana Weeks was just doing the news a moment ago. Scott Radley here, by the way. Welcome to the Scott Radley Show. Diana Weeks was just doing the news saying, hey, and now we're saying it's going to be not much snow this winter. I I thought that we were told that this was supposed to be the snowiest winter of all. So tell that in Buffalo. But nonetheless, I, I, I can't keep up. I can't keep up with the weather changes and the reports. And anyway, so apparently now we're going to get no snow. It's going to be a dry, not too bad winter. Hmm. All right. Welcome to the show. Glad you are along. Whatever the winter is going to be, uh, we are in December. We are in December. Welcome to December. Glad you're with us today. Glad you're along with us for the ride. We have got lots to get to on the show today. We're going to be chatting a little bit about a story that I saw today that you may have heard about this before. I had not, or maybe I had, but I'd forgotten about it. Uh, it's something Elon Musk is involved in. It's not got anything to do with Twitter. It's not got anything to do with Tesla. But Elon Musk is involved in a program, a, a, a business, a company called Neuralink that hopes to soon implant chips into people's brains that will allow them, in some cases, to operate their computer just by, you know, thinking or whatever else. It, do we want this? I mean, I can see some very positive, potentially helpful applications for this, but I can also see an awful lot of horrible things that could happen here. Can you imagine if humans could suddenly be hacked? Someone is able to tap into your, literally tap into your brain. Uh, I'm, I'm, I understand the people who will be excited about this. Uh, Count me among those who will be very, very skeptical and probably if there are 8 billion people on planet Earth now, I will be number 8 billion in line to get this done. But we'll talk about this. Is this something that we should be concerned about? We'll talk, we're going to talk to a technology ethicist. Eth- ethicist, yes. I never can say that word right. They deal with the ethics of technology. However you want to describe it, that's, that's what they do. We're going to be talking to him about that. Um, next hour, of course, the, uh, the World Cup. Canada's World Cup run ended with another loss today. We are now one of the two countries that made it to the World Cup that lost all three games. The only other one, the hosts from Qatar or Qatar, who nobody expected anything of. I think I think there were expectations on Canada, and as exciting as it has been for Canada to be at the World Cup, and it has. I think we have, I think we are, I think it's fair to be disappointed with this result. I think it's, I think in fact more than fair, I think we should be disappointed with this result. I don't think we should be that country anymore that just says, ah, we made it. Let's just be happy. Gosh, darn it. We got that. No, let's, I'm ready for us to like go to these events and treat them like it's our national hockey team and win. We expect to win. Maybe not win the whole World Cup, but have something to show at the end of the day. We'll, we'll talk about this one next hour. And uh, we're also next hour going to chat about the, um, the worst Christmas gifts. We're into December now. It's safe to talk about this. There are a lot of people online who have listed what their worst Christmas gifts they've ever received are. Now, again, I understand that it may be considered unthankful 
ungrateful to complain about a Christmas gift. When you hear about some of these Christmas gifts, you'll understand what the people are talking about. This is, this is not where someone bought you a t-shirt and it was slightly the wrong size. And so you were ungrateful or, or where someone, you know, got you something else. No, these were, these are these are the kind of gifts where you say, yeah, I can understand why those would be counted as the worst gifts. This is your early Christmas Dear Abby-esque advice column segment for what not to buy for the loved ones in your life. Let's put it that way. We'll get to that next hour. As always, the first segment of the Scott Radley Show is brought to you exclusively by Fox40Shop.com. For sport and for safety, it has to be Fox40Shop.com. Enter the promo code Radley at checkout and you will get 25% off your order. Uh, Wanted to point out, by the way, one story that... um, I don't know if you golf. I don't know. Forget golf for a second. It's a go- it's a story that t- that ties into golf. But forget golf for a second. Would you hand up if you would say that you are a competitive person? All right. Now, if your hand is up, how do you define competitive? Like competitive that if you're playing a board game with your sibling growing up and the game wasn't going your way, you would upturn the table. So you wouldn't lose or competitive to the point where if you were losing a game of Monopoly, say with your sibling, rather than turning over the board game, you would punch them in the face. I mean, there's different levels of competitive. Well, the, re- the reason I asked this is a uh, police in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi have arrested a guy. These two guys were playing golf on the weekend and, uh, well, I guess one guy wasn't happy with the way the golf game had gone. He was, he was... He was, they'd been arguing about their game, let's just say, as the game had been going on. And uh, one of the guys was not happy. I don't know if he lost. I don't know if there was money being wagered on this. The story doesn't go into this. Uh, But the one guy, 51-year-old guy from Biloxi, Mississippi, um, has been uh, arrested for biting the nose off of his golfing partner. That, that, that's how that's how far this disagreement about golfing went. Their golf game ended up with one man biting the nose off another man. Uh, he has been charged. I didn't even know this was such a thing. Um, where's the name of the charge here? He has been charged with... Um, hmm. I got to find the name of this one. I've, I've now lost it. Uh, oh, charged with felony mayhem. That's a it sounds like a great charge. Felony mayhem. It sounds like something. It sounds like a really good party, but um, that's not what it is. Uh, the the part of the story that, um, that that may be the most disconcerting. The nose was not found. <laughs> how how do you, how do you bite the nose off someone and not know exactly where that nose went because you bit it off and you spat it on the ground. Did he take it with him? Did he swallow it? What do you do with what do you do with a nose that has been extracted from another person's face? I don't know. Anyway, hope your day is better than that guy. Let's put it that either of them, the per, the biter or the bitey, both are having a rough day. Hope your day was better than that and hope you're not quite that competitive. I mean, we're talking about the World Cup. We are glad that no Canadians bit digits, noses or limbs off any of their competitors. It's a step too far. Ask Mike Tyson. we got a break coming up. When we come back, we're going to get into the ethics of putting computer chips in your brain. It sounds like it's bonkers, but apparently it is a real thing. There's a real company that apparently is really close to being able to offer this. Do we want this? We'll talk about it next. Stay with us. 
You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show here on 900 CHML. Elon Musk has been in the news an awful lot lately. You know that. You've heard all the stuff about Twitter and everything else. Well, he's in the news again, much less attention to this one, and it's got nothing to do with social media. It's got nothing to do with self-driving cars. Back in 2016, he founded a company called Neuralink. It's a neurotechnology company. And the plan is that soon, they hope, they will be able to implant chips into people's brains. The idea being a number of things, one of them that you could stimulate brain activity so that if you, let's say you had a, had a stroke maybe or something and a part of your brain wasn't working right, this chip might stimulate that area and or fill in that area and allow some return to function. There's all kinds of different ways that they're pointing at things this could do. However, there are also people saying, yeah, but the idea of putting a computer chip in someone's brain so they can be tapped into a computer directly or vice versa seems to come with an awful lot of ethical questions. Brian Patrick Green is the technology, he's an expert in technology ethics at the Markula Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. He joins us now. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This, um, look, I, I get the benefits that this might bring. I can imagine if you've had a brain injury or if you've got, as I say, a stroke or Alzheimer's or some part of your brain that has been negatively affected, I can see the the hope that this might bring. But boy, I, I read this and maybe it's just me, but the pessimist in me comes out more than the optimist thinking of the ways this could go horribly wrong. There are there are some obvious dystopian risks associated with this. For example, I mean, uh, the, the one of the essences of brain-computer interface technology is that you want to have both input and output. Of course, if you're getting output, then you're reading what the brain is doing. Uh, that means that you can, you know, re- read a person's mind, basically. And if you're putting input into the brain, then you can control what stimulation they're getting from the outside, which is also pretty frightening when you think about it, because you don't necessarily need to have the person's best interest in mind when you're feeding them information. No, I mean, literally, and this sounds so uh, science fiction, but literally you could hack a human, I guess. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's one of the risks of this technology. Um, but what I what I I mean, I'd also say the the therapeutic side of this is also, as you noted, just really fantastic. So there's very much this balance that we have to try to strike here, which is just really, it's ethically really complicated trying to figure out how do we make sure that we can get the benefits from this technology while we, making sure that we minimize the risks. Okay, let, let's talk about the benefits for a second. I, I mentioned some of them. You've probably po- contemplated this a lot more than I have. So what, what would be an example or two? I gave a couple. Maybe they're accurate. Maybe they're good. I don't know. What would be a couple examples where you would say, you know what, that's something that we could really use this for? I mean, the, there are examples of, uh, you know, restoring sight to the blind, for example, helping paralyzed people walk. There's this kind of almost biblical quality to it. 
um, of doing miraculous things with technology. Um, and of course, there, there's, uh, you know, people can look at this and say, oh, this is, of course, uh, maybe humans overstepping the bound. But at the, at the same time, um, you know, so much of, of, uh, of healthcare is, is centered toward this, right? We want to try to help people achieve what they can do, restore sight and, and, and cure paralysis and, and help people who have all sorts of brain injuries, as you mentioned. Um, and then, the, the, of course, the difficulties associated with that is this is a technology which is very, very powerful uh, because it can do both good and bad. And like I said, the, the, the trade-off between the two of those is going to be a very difficult territory to negotiate. Are there examples, because I can't think of too many, where um, are there examples where the technology has been created, we know it's out there, but the ethical questions are so strong that we don't end up using it? It seems once that door is open, we almost always go through that door. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is unfortunately a really uh, difficult question. I, I, my mind comes to things like international treaties. We have international treaties against biological weapons, chemical weapons. Uh, nothing against nuclear weapons, nothing against uh, robot, you know, lethal weapon systems that are robotic. Um, and at the same time, we, we do kind of develop norms against them, right? Uh, nuclear weapons haven't been used since World War II, although, of course, there's been huge amounts of threats uh, with that recently. Um, so there, there are examples of where technologies are created, and they're not necessarily uh, used for their, their evil thing. But uh, very often what they are is they're hiding in the background, waiting to be used for that bad thing. They're either being used for deterrence or for, for threatening people. Um, so th- that, that's one of the bad things about technology is that once you explore it, you can't pretend that you don't know it exists anymore. No, and um, while you're absolutely correct that there are treaties against some of these things, biological weapons, for example, we also know that while most people follow those treaties and honor them, there are bad actors in the world. In, in Syria, people were murdered with chemical and biological weapons. The, all it takes is one or two people who decide I'm not going to follow that to weaponize it. And that's where a chip in the brain, I, I look at this and I go, yeah, I think most people would probably follow that ethically and use that ethically, but it doesn't take many to make it not be that. You're exactly right. And, uh, and you can easily imagine uh, the most, you know, choose your dystopian regime in the world and have them, you know, have access to this technology. What are they going to do? They're going to implant it in everyone so they can watch their thoughts all the time and control them with mind control fundamentally. Um, it's, it's got some really scary downsides to it. And, and this is the kind of thing that fundamentally it needs to have some norms around it. It needs to have more than that. Probably it needs to have some sort of uh, international treaty ultimately. Is the idea, and I don't again, I don't know how much you've studied this in particular or this kind of thing, but is the idea here that this would only be implanted for people who have had brain injuries as a uh, essentially a chemical or a, a, a crutch? Or is the idea that pretty much everybody will eventually get this so you can operate your computer just by thinking or whatever else? Is this a is this much broader than simply a medical tool? Yeah, this is a fascinating question because if you if you look into how Neuralink is set up, it's very much focused at the start to be uh, centered on therapeutic. How can we help people who have brain injuries or paralysis or blindness? Um, but the long-term strategy is much, much bigger than that. The long-term idea is that you will want to have these in your brain because they will give you uh, science fiction powers fundamentally. You'll be able to surf the Internet with your brain. You'll be able to learn languages 
um, that you know much more efficiently than just uh, you know learning them in, in in the normal way that we learn things now. Um, so yeah, the the science fiction future is is very much uh, built into this technology. It is. Uh, I mean, do you tend? I mean, you 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 deal with ethics. I, I don't know if that makes you more of an optimist or a pessimist when you have to think about this all the time. When you think of this, do you more lean towards the possibilities that can help, or do you more say I'm a little cautious about where this would go? Well, I think the the thing that gives me optimism for this is that nobody wants to have brain surgery. Fundamentally, <laughs> brain <laughs> surgery is not fun. <laughs> Nobody's going to go out of their way to have brain surgery. I think. Um, so there's if if you are struggling with a with a horrible condition, then it makes perfect sense to get something like this to make your life easier. But if you're just a normal person who's who's happily going about their life, there's not much appeal to getting something like this stuck in your head. Uh, very fair point. Uh, until unless it becomes somehow super easy, I mean, I suppose you know we imagine Blade Runner or something, and uh, I'm right. sure they were. You know, I, I think we're still a few years away from there. But it's it's a it's a fascinating conundrum and ethical uh, quandary. Uh, Brian Patrick Green, the director of technology ethics at the Markula Center for Applied Ethics, uh, very much appreciate you taking some minutes today. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. It is. Uh, it really is. I I don't know about you. I'd love to hear from you. 905-645-3221. That's the text line. Send us a text. I'd love to know whether when you hear this, your initial thought is, you know, that sounds amazing. That sounds, that. think of the possibilities of what we could do if we could put a chip in someone's brain that fixes illness, fixes brain d- damage that people have suffered to the brain from a stroke, as I say, or from... Parkinson's disease or whatever. Think, think of the opportunities to normalize someone's life who has been struggling with something because we can implant a chip into your brain that can speak to a computer that can sort out that problem. Or do you look at it more like, yeah, that sounds fine, but there is so much margin here for someone to misuse this and think of the ways that if people are, if their brain is directly tapped into a computer, what are the ways that we could make this a horrible, horrible thing or someone could make this horrible thing? I'd love to hear your thoughts, whether you'd be thumbs up on getting something like this or thumbs down on this. 905-645-3221. Send me a text. I would love to hear from you. we got a break coming up. When we come back, Bill Briou joins us. Something a little bit lighter. <laughs> Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Once upon a time, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years ago, <clears throat> once upon a time, if you wanted to watch television, it was free. You had a TV. You turned on your TV, it was free to watch. The trade-off was that you had to watch commercials. We didn't have VCRs, we didn't have DVRs, we didn't have all those things. You couldn't fast-forward, you couldn't skip over. The deal was you got free, but you had to watch the commercials. Well, guess what the newest idea is for how to save television? We'll give it to you for free, but you got to watch the commercials. What's that old line about everything old is new again? Uh, Bill Briou joins us. He is the guy behind Briou TV, great TV writer, great pop media, pop culture, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Bill, how are you today? I'm doing well, Scott. How are you? I'm good, although I feel like I'm back in the early 60s when television's in its infancy, and this is exactly what television was, isn't it? 
Those were the days, Scott. At least you don't have to go up in the uh, roof and adjust the antenna. That's true. That's this the only good thing. But yeah, it's it's back to the future. You're you're absolutely right. So this is this new thing, and it it is a new thing. Although again, it sounds funny to say that because it really is an old thing. There's something out there called Fast now, F-A-S-T, free ad-supported streaming television and chorus that we're on here and CBC and others are getting into this. The idea being, look, if we want to keep television relevant because everyone's on streaming now, maybe the answer is rather than charging exorbitant cable fees, we're going to give it to you for free. It, it, it makes some sense. The question is, Bill, do you believe that in a time when Everything is instant, and we get frustrated if we have to watch a five-second video uh, ad before a YouTube video. Are we going to sit through commercials if that's the trade-off? Well, the folks at Pluto TV seem to think that we will. And, um, you know, it's not like you have to sit through as many commercials as you would normally if you were watching conventional broadcast TV. Uh, there'll be about half that many. There'll be fewer and, you know, right now, if you're watching YouTube, if you're watching Tubi or other of these fast channels, you've probably experienced this. So you've seen an ad come on for 15 seconds or 30, and then it goes away and you're back to your show. So um, people, I think, with inflation, everybody's pinching pennies, and they're starting to take a hard look at paying for these premium uh, streaming channels. They're maybe more willing to sit through commercials now if it doesn't cost anything. It's just, I agree with you, but for the fact that I just wonder if we've been so trained, almost Pavlovian-like, that when those commercials on a YouTube video pop up, we're like, oh, man, how long does I have to wait for this? And it's only 30 seconds or less, and yet it frustrates us. I think you're right when it comes to movies. Like, you know, you want movies uninterrupted. That's the beauty of streaming and everything and movie channels. But I think a lot of, if you look at what Pluto TV has, uh, they're just today had their announcement in Ken Toronto, partnered with Chorus, of course. And the idea is that they don't, it's not original. It's not, you know, if you go on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever, they're spending billions creating content. This is a service that's backed by Paramount, by CBS, uh, their libraries. And so you'd watch old shows, you, mainly the CSI, NCIS, Y Five O, but the Ed Sullivan Show. You know, <laughs> they've got they've got stuff that goes Happy Day. They've got a whole Happy Days channel, and I think if you're into that, and you, that means you probably saw it the first time and sat through all those commercials back then, and now you're going to be sitting through less. So I don't think it'll bug anybody, that, those kinds of shows. Well, and the other part about this that, that makes me believe that maybe this is a good idea and maybe you're right is um, when, when did cord cutting really start to take off? Ten years ago? A little less than ten years ago? It, it, it started ten years ago, but it's accelerating. You know, well, it is, but when cord cutting started, the idea was I can stream for a few dollars a month and I can save all this money from my cable bill. But now if you want to watch everything that you want to watch, you've got to subscribe to like 10 streaming channels. It's just as much as if you were subscribing to cable. Yeah, that idea that this was going to save lots of money, that was a big lie. <laughs> so, it, it was great for a few years, but it went yeah. away. Well, you know, and everything's getting more expensive. Uh, you know, it used to be you could get nine Netflix or $8, whatever it was when it launched, or uh, Paramount launched at $6, and now they're up to 10 um, And now they're all getting closer to 20 and that's why they're coming up with these fast channels, get it back down to 5 or 6 or $8 or free, 
And um, I, I think the way things are, people, you know, after filling up at the pump and going to the grocery store, you don't have money to subscribe to three or four different subscription channels anymore. It is true. And I mean, everything is, uh, everything has gone up. Everything costs more now. And I, I really believe, I don't think it's probably coincidental. I think they've been working on this for a while, but I don't think it's coincidental that something like this gets introduced now, right before Christmas when we've got a lot of bills and inflation and everything else. This seems like a really appealing idea now that I can get free anything. Yeah. And it's just, they're all, all these media companies are searching for the answer. And this is the same company that will sell you the Paramount subscription uh, channel so that you could watch Pulsa King with Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> big new show or whatever. Uh, you know, but that's something they had to create and spend money on, so that costs you more to watch that. If you're just happy to look at reruns, older movies, uh, these fast channels, and there's a few of them now, Tubi and um, certainly Pluto TV now. CBC just announced they're doing a news channel that's going to be a fast uh, channel and so I, I think they're finding that they've hit the wall with the subscriptions they're not growing as fast as they thought they might uh, inflation has cut things down and now they're really scrambling to come up with this fast channel solution and again for those who are, are hearing fast channel go what's fast it's free it stands for free ad supported streaming television so it's not like speed it's it's just it's that's an acronym uh Amazon's uh, CEO, just changing, pivoting just a little bit here. Amazon's CEO was being interviewed on Wednesday, I think by the New York Times. And he was under the gun a little bit because there's pressure for Amazon to take down a film that is available apparently on Amazon Prime call that, that got an NBA player in trouble for linking to it because some people have said it's offensive. Some people have said it's racist. Um and he said, look, we, we offer different points of view because not everyone agrees with everything and we can't just take everything down that people disagree with. This one is, pure, is really a, con, a controversial movie, but do you agree with the premise of the guy in charge of this that if we start taking everything down that people disagree with, we have problems? That's a big question, and I'm not a hundred. I, I know of this issue, but I'm not a hundred percent up to speed on it. But if you look at Netflix and their guys, Ted Sorensen is their content head, and he's defended Dave Chappelle the last three or right. four Dave Chappelle specials. And very, you know, there's groups that feel very strongly that he's offensive. And Chappelle and the, the Sorensen's argument is, you have to let artists be artists, and if you don't like it, change the channel. Um, it's it's an interesting discussion. I I, I tend to air in terms of free speech, but um, it's not me that's being offended by this controversy. So um, certainly there are people that feel that way. Uh, if you're a broadcaster you, and this is happening, you know that you're going to hear people can complain. There's there's ways to do this with government agencies um, and get direct notice, and then that people are forced to take things down. So um, complex. I guess it's issue by issue. Um but you know there was there was other basketball documentary um, that was made about the Lakers, and uh, some of the Laker players, Magic Johnson, were were upset about the content at that because they felt they weren't portrayed fairly. Right, that was a uh, biopic about the 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 Showtime era of the Lakers, and it was you know they they didn't think that it was exactly right. But I, I mean, I look at this and I think I, everything I've heard about this documentary that is that they're talking about 
sounds to me like it's problematic in the sense that I would disagree with it. But I, I, Bill, I, I, at the same time, I think, but if every single thing that someone has a problem with has to be removed, um, boy, you're going to have a pretty slim catalog very soon because everybody's <laughs> offended. Some, something offends at least one person. Everything that you've got on your thing will offend at least one person. Well, especially when you look at the trend to these uh, real-life biopics or docu-series lately, they've all been about, like, tigers eating people or, you know, they're just crazy premises, and and some of them are offensive on all kinds of levels. Well, the, I mean, the but crown. In order to make it sensational enough to, to get you to watch, that's the kind of thing that they, they were leaning into, right? And, and it's not offensive in the same way that it's a race thing or a religion thing, but, I mean, people are pointing to the new series, The Crown, the new season, and saying, look, it, 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 people are going to believe it. It's not accurate. You, you, again, you can go down the list of almost anything, and while I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in that category that says I disagree vigorously with what you say, but I will fight to the death for you to have yeah. the right to say that. I agree with you, Scott. I think that's the way it should be. And if they're going to cancel the crown, cancel the whole royal family. Let's get right to it. Why wait? <laughs> Who cares about the TV show? You know. Let's just make the TV show the launching pad to obliterate the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Bill Briou, you can find his stuff at Briou TV. It's a great website. Lots of great stuff. Lots of great content there. Bill, I always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. Anytime, Scott. It's uh, it's a really interesting one. I would encourage you to, if 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 you are someone, and there are some people listening who I'm sure fall into this category, if you're someone who money right now is tight, that things are difficult, this new FAST system, it's available there. You can look it up. Um, This may be something that you may be interested in checking out as opposed to subscribing to cable. I don't want to send people away. I don't want to cost money, but it's it's, it's something specifically designed for that to be appealing. The question is, would you watch commercials? I don't know. I, I I think people would watch commercials again, I think, but I don't know. I don't know how long it is until you get, because we're so used to it now, not, until you get totally frustrated and say, ah, drive me nuts. Give it a look. Quick break. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It is 6.51 on a Thursday evening. Time for some shower thoughts today. We're going to, shower thoughts are those, those deep, deep thoughts you get sometimes when you're alone in the shower, lying in bed, just about to fall asleep. For me, it's usually when I'm just about to fall asleep. You're just about out and all of a sudden something hits you and you go, wow, that's, I got to write that down. That's pretty good. Or if I don't, I'll forget and then I'll really be upset in the morning. Anyway, shower thoughts. For example, I'm going to bring Matt in. Matt's on. Matt's in the uh, the other side of the glass today in the studio. I'm going to bring Matt in on this one. So Matt, shower thoughts are something like this. You can pretend to be asleep, but you cannot pretend to be awake. Right. I'd be very, it's obvious, it's accurate, it's, but it's like, that's, that's true. I've, I've pretended to be asleep many times, but never, you, you can't do the opposite. It doesn't work the other way. Um. Let's see here. The uh, um, most of winter takes place after Christmas, yet almost every winter theme song is about Christmas. As soon as we pass, what what song is there for winter once you pass Christmas? Let it snow. It's still kind of a Christmas song. 
I don't know if there is any. Everything, Christmas ends in pop culture as soon as, or winter ends as soon as Christmas is gone in pop culture. I mean, I'm not going to go down that. I'm sure I could think of one, but I, I don't want <laughs> to like derail you here. No, it, it, <laughs> it just, I, I, I'm thinking like it, it, the only time in pop culture there is ever weather is if it's Christmas, because it always snows on Christmas in any kind of pop culture thing, but does it ever snow when it's not Christmas? Rarely, maybe once in a while. Maybe if it was like for a movie like Snow Day or something. Um, High school reunions lost popularity with the rise in popularity of social media. Yeah, because you could cyberstalk. Exactly. Once upon a time, high school reunions were the chance to see someone you hadn't seen a picture of or anything in 10 or 15 years and go, go, man, he got fat. But I will say he got bald. There are some people that just don't have social media. There's a few. But those people probably wouldn't go to the high school reunion, though. Or maybe they've not had social media specifically because they want the big surprise, the big reveal at at the high school reunion. they've, they've, They've put their life aside for a decade for that one evening when they walk in because they've been going to the gym and they look pretty good still and they know everyone else is going to look 10 years older. Because anybody my age, like, you'd have to make a concerted effort not to have social media, like, if you're in your 30s, so... You may be a little older. That would be, you know, oh, I just never got it. But yeah, there was, there's got to be something up to that if you don't have it and you're like in your 30s, like I am. <laughs> That's I'm just saying. No, it's, hey, 30s is still a high school reunion when you're in your 30s is still kind of, it's kind of almost unfair at this point because people haven't, the whole idea of a high school reunion, we're way off track here, but the whole idea of a high school reunion later on, it's almost like adult show and tell. Look what I made of myself. In your 30s, you may still not have made that part of yourself that you're going to want to be at some point that you will be by the time you're 40. It's kind of an unfair show and tell. Um, No alarm clock is more effective than a retching cat or or a dog that's in the middle of a vomit that you know is going to land on the bed or the carpet or something else. Immediately you're awake. Absolutely. That is 100% factual. Uh, and, and we, as the, as a family that has three dogs in the house, I can assure you it works. As soon as you hear that, it's like, you know, something bad is about to happen and someone's waking up. Yeah. Not on the bed, not on the carpet. That's That's right. Pick up the dog and get it into the bathroom. So it's going to do it on the tile where it's fine, where you can clean it up much more easily. It never happens though. They uh, know. Rarely. They, it, but yeah, you're right. It usually emerges just on the precipice of the tile, but it's still yeah. on the carpet area. Um, there has never been a mention of a Wicked Witch of the South. There's a Wicked Witch of the North. There's all the, all the witches apparently are of the North. If you think of, um, there's the Wicked Witch of the North. There's the Wicked Witch of the West. There's the Wicked Witch of the East in Wizard of Oz. There's ever been the Wicked Witch of the South. Apparently they retire down to the South and they chill and, uh, become quite, you know, the nice witch cause they've all relaxed. I don't know how to touch that one. I don't, I don't either. <laughs> There's not, I have nothing to add. Um, let's see here. Uh, our parents lie to us about, okay. So if you're a kid listening right now, plug your ears for a second. We don't want to ruin anything for you. Or if you're a parent who's got a kid nearby, turn the radio down for 10 seconds. Our parents lie to us about Santa being real until we find out he's not, but then we lie to our parents about Santa being real so we can still get presents. Those, those couple years where your parents still think, I had kids where I knew eventually that they knew 
but they didn't tell us when they knew because it still worked to their advantage that Santa was out there. It works for them. Smart kids. Uh, let us see here. The Here's a good one. The scent symbol. Like the C with the line through it or the two lines, however you draw a scent symbol. The scent symbol isn't used nearly as often nowadays. Which is true because most younger people, do they even, they've probably, they may not have seen a penny. Certainly they don't use pennies. Why, why, why would penny become even part of the conversation? It just doesn't exist much now. It is technically impossible to think of the unthinkable. That's unthinkable. Well, no, it's really not then because you just thought of it. It's impossible to think of the unthinkable. <laughs> Unless it's the figurative unthinkable. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, but, but again, anyone who says that's unthinkable has already shown that it's not really true. Uh, a couple more here. Um, one of your eyes has been closed longer than the other in your lifetime. I don't even know how that, I mean, it's true, I guess, but it's, um, very strange. Um, you, okay, here's one. You rarely see expensive beer cans or bottles littered on the side of the road. If you drive by and there's an empty beer can, it's never a high end import. That's true. Maybe at a stadium you would see it littered, but that's a different thing altogether. Could be. Could be. Uh, And one more. George Washington never knew that dinosaurs existed. Oh, so it's like one of those like year things where they. Well, he was, he was, he was closer to the dinosaurs than we were, but didn't know because they hadn't discovered them yet. And he probably would have never known that they were out there. It's, it's, um. Yeah. Uh, one more. Contrary to popular opinion, round pegs do fit in square holes with enough velocity. <laughs> you can fit a round hole, a square peg into a round hole. You just got to hit it hard enough. Anything's possible. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the World Cup. Should we be impressed with Canada, disappointed with Canada? What? What? Should, what is the appropriate feeling with Canada now out of the World Cup, but having been there? After the, for the first time in 36 years. We'll talk about that when we come back. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Hour number two of the Scott Radley Show here on 900 CHML. Thanks for being here. Glad you're along. I jumped in a little early there, but eager to get going. I usually wait for the music to get to the end. Uh, thanks for being here. As I say, glad you're along. We're going to be chatting in just a moment here about... Um, all about the World Cup and a few other things. Canada now done. A lot of other countries now done as well. Some surprising, some less so. Your first, your quiz question though today, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this: last night, almost a record for few. We only had two right answers last night. Two, twice we have had a shutout in all the years of doing this. Twice we've had a shutout. I don't know that we've ever had one. So this is probably the second lowest. It was a tough quiz question last night. We'll see if today is slightly easier. We'll see. In what game could you peg out? That's your quiz question tonight. In what game could you peg out? 905-645-3221. 
or star 9900, or you can text us at 905-645-3221. Please include your first name with your answer. In what game could you peg out? P-E-G, peg, peg out. 905-645-3221, or star 9900, or text us, 905-645-3221. If you're calling, please be patient. If the line rings, Matt will get to you as fast as he can, so... Just hang with us. We will get there. Let me bring in our good friend from CHCH, Bubba O'Neill, who, like me, like you, like most people, was probably watching the World Cup game today. And uh, Bubba, I'll tell you, I think an awful lot of people didn't necessarily expect anything from this game because Morocco is pretty good. But at the end of it, I think feel a little disappointed and a little empty that Canada couldn't get anything at all onto the scoreboard out of this World Cup. You're talking in terms of, of, of wins. Yeah, wins or even a tie. Just a, put a point up on the scoreboard. We were one of only two teams, we, Canada, one of only mm-hmm. two countries that ended up with zero points that lost all three games. Um... You know, I, as as I, you know, we kind of talked about this uh, on the six o'clock news. And, and, and am I disappointed? Uh, definitely. But you know, I think you have to kind of curb your disappointment with the realism of that. You know, we're new and we're not that good, <laughs> right? Like we were good enough to qualify, and, and credit to to the qualification process and how we did in Concacaf. But I, I would tell you, I think our preparation really wasn't good enough leading up into this tournament. Um, I think there was a lot of false hopes when people looked at this, our group. Um, and, you know, a show, a good, very good showing against Belgium where we narrowly lost. Um, but soccer is that kind of sport where sometimes you can outplay someone and still lose. And when you're at a neutral site, I think this is important to remember, right? I mean, we... During the qualification process, we beat Mexico for the first time in like 45 years. But you know what? When we beat them, we beat them in Edmonton with like eight feet of snow, and the temperatures were, you know, in, in the in the minus, right? So you get them on, uh, get us on a level playing ground against teams that have been at the World Cup before, and really, I think we kind of finished the way I think we deserved. Well, I mean, in, in soccer parlance, and I still call it soccer, by the way, I'm not buying into all this, all the cool kids are calling it football. We live in North America. This is soccer. So, you know, football's on tonight with the Bills. Just, you know, that's my little rant. But nonetheless, uh, I'm not buying into the soccer, uh, or, or I, I'm saying in soccer terms, Canada is still a minnow. Uh, you know, one of those countries that in on the grand stage, is still one of the easy targets. And and that's unfortunate, but what I think, Baba, most people around here are disappointed at is that that first game was an opportunity and Canada should have beaten Belgium and was the far better team than Belgium. Now, Belgium clearly was not, they were ranked the second best team in the world. They clearly weren't the second best team in the world. Doesn't matter. Canada had a chance then to do something. And when that slipped by, I think a lot of people went, okay, um, what are the reasonable expectations now? And the reasonable expectations, it turns out, are we got a lot of work to do. See, I, I totally disagree with you. The feeling I, I got from 
social media, people around here, people I talk to, is that we got drawn into a false sense after that showing against Belgium. Then we started to look at saying, oh, Croatia, you know what? Yeah, they've done really well in past World Cups, but look how old they are. And people looked forward and said, Morocco? Like, we can beat Morocco. That's true. We, right? That was the feeling I got. So I, I, I'll take the total reverse side of what you said there, because I think people, and now we're, we're, everyone was all crushed after this loss, right? And uh, we got a lot to learn. We, I mean, I, I think our manager has a lot to learn, and, and with pregame tactics and just in-game tactics. I think the team that we have on the back line got exposed for being very slow in terms of... Remember this. When you're playing in the World Cup, you're playing teams that have anywhere from 5 to 10 first division playing in high leagues around the world. And I'm talking about the Premiership. I'm talking about uh, you know Spain. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the Bundesliga. We have one world-class player. Let's remember that. We have David, who's really struggled and plays in Bel- and plays in France as well. He came off a wonderful a couple seasons ago in, in Belgium, and he's bordering on that. But we have one player that's, that's I would consider world-class ability. Every other team has two or three that are world-class and the others that are playing in high level. We're still getting there. I'm not even quite sure about how we're going to do four years from now. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a fair question. No, that's, that's entirely a fair question. I think it's eight years from now where we should have some, some type of expectation. Well, okay. So a couple things, um, back to your point about Croatia, Morocco. So my point on that one was, I don't think that anyone took Croatia too lightly because they had been the World Cup finalists four years ago. But once the Belgium result, I think a lot of people thought that that just slipped away, that that should have been the moment when Canada got its first points on the scoreboard ever. And they were by far, Canada was by far the better team in that game, which was shocking to a lot of people. That, of course, I think you're right, did make some people maybe be a little too confident that this was a team that could compete because I think Croatia, and and quite frankly, Canada was the better team for the first 20 minutes against Croatia, but then they adjusted and all of a sudden figured out how to expose Canada. But but Scott, Scott, I believe soccer, as I was trying to say that soccer is hard to gauge that way. I think you can say that for hockey. I think you can say that, that sort of, we were the better team. Well, in soccer, all you need is a goal and defend. So when you're defending, yeah, the other team looks like the better team. But you're in a defensive stance. And we've proven that we struggle at this level to score goals. And other teams are not stupid. They know that. They're saying, who do we fear here? And I don't think they fear too many people. So, no, yeah, no. We, but we, So they, Belgium got their goal you know, near the end of the half when we got caught napping. And yeah, they just sat there and defended, very much like Morocco did for the second half. They felt comfortable. Well, and Canada's style that they have had had success in all through qualifying and through the Belgium game and through the first 20 or 25 minutes of Croatia is attack, attack, (laughs) attack, attack, attack. And that's great until you fall behind 
And until you start to get exposed and then you, that, that was where the weakness really showed up. I think that we didn't, unlike say Croatia, which started out with a certain style. And then when it realized what was happening, it adjusted and obviously tilted the field in its favor, the adjustments. We didn't seem or don't yet seem to have the ability to adjust that style. That was the Canadian style and we were going to live or die with that. Well, it's, yeah, it was too late to change at this point. Right. And you know, and some would say, you know, well, look who did, you know, well, we, why would we change? Because we were so successful right. in qualifying, right? But, I mean, let's also put this into context. You know, we're beating Honduras, we're beating, you know, uh, Panama, we're beating Jamaica, right? And like I said, we had some big wins. Uh, probably the most notable was the one right here in Hamilton. Against the U.S. Right, when we beat the United States. But yet, that was still the first victory over the United States in some time. And currently, when you think about it, well, the U.S. are moving on right now. You know, Mexico are not going on right now. Um, you know, and like I said, I'll reference that game in Edmonton. I don't know. We, we might have beaten the world number ones that day, that day in Edmonton. <laughs> We're used to that stuff, that those kind of inclement weather. I will say uh, one thing for Canada. I will say one thing for Canada in Canada's defense, because, again, I, I think that Canada deserved a little bit better than it got. I don't think Canada should have moved on. I don't think it's there yet. But I do think if you look at some of the, uh, it's always difficult when the draw comes out and everyone's looking for the group of death or whatever the easy one is. I think Canada ended up by a bit of bad luck in what was honestly one of the hardest pools. When you look, because again, Morocco, nobody expected Morocco to be good. They end up winning the pool. Um, I I think people expected pretty good from Belgium and Croatia. It, It was a hard one. You look at the U.S., Iran and Wales, not exactly world beaters. That was, you put, you put the U S in Canada's pod. I don't know that they advance. It's just a, that's the luck of the draw. And so four years from now, this is the interesting part. Four years from now, I'm with you. I don't know whether in four years, Canada can develop enough elite, elite, elite players to advance or to get results that way. However, the way that the pool system works as the host, Canada will be having guaranteed a lesser, an easier pool. And so, you know, at this point, I was going to say, I, I think people really want to qualify or do well just because we're really good. I think at this point, if they want to give us Liechtenstein and Vatican City and, you know, some other country and we'll just beat up on them, people will take it. Just give us a result. We just want to have a win at this point. Even yeah, a tie. You see, you see, I, I, I don't like that mentality. And I don't I either, but I think people I, will I, take I, it. I, I, you know, people shouldn't take it because we need to play better countries, right? You take a look at the history, especially over the last two years, not including the qualifying. And I, and I already made my point about the qualifying and playing teams like Honduras and Panama and Jamaica, right, which are not quite on the world stage, in my opinion, in, in terms of World Cup level. Um, if you take a look at our, a lot of our friendlies, we need to be playing better European teams in our friendlies to prepare us for teams of that quality. And you take a look at the history of who we played, and, and I'd say that really the, maybe the toughest team we played in, 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 in terms of a friendly is maybe Japan, who we beat right before, but Japan played half their players. And right now Japan's going on to the second round. Right, they won their division with Spain in it and Germany in it. Yep. Right. Yep. So I felt like there was this attitude that 
not so much about us, but an attitude that, wow, all these new teams are coming up in the World Cup, right? And and yes, there are. There's a bunch of new teams, and Germany's going home, and like I mean, you know, there's just a lot of surprises. But I don't think we've done enough to garner. To, uh, you know, we haven't yeah. been in enough World Cups to to really be one of those teams, even though we're one of the new guys on the block. Those other teams have taken their beats for a while, too. I would suspect so, that, Bubba, I would suspect that what you're saying, though, about playing those harder teams, I would suspect that that is what comes next. Because Canada had to get into the World Cup. You have to build some confidence. You have to build some teamwork. You have to build some chemistry. And, and, and I'll go back to confidence. You don't want to go and just get your butt handed to you game after game after game and feel like you have no chance. So I, mm-hmm. to get to this point... I think that was probably the right move, but absolutely at this point, knowing you're going to be playing against them four years from now, I'm ag- I'm in full agreement with you. I don't know that a ton of friendlies against El Salvador and Nicaragua does Canada any good at this point. No, play the good not ones. Not at this point. Play the right? good teams. It's different now. It's very different I, I, now. You know who said it, said it best was on the CTV crew was Janine Becky. We've now gotten to a level, and we can't go back now. Right, like we've raised our stakes, no doubt about that. Right, but we ne- we now we now we can't go backwards. And I think one of the things that I think going to play a very very important factor. And I know I was critical of him for a couple of his tactics. What is going to happen with John Herdman? John Herdman is a hot commodity right now, and he will be in the English Premiership at some time. At some time, coaching a team because I'm sure he'd like to be back in Britain at some point in the UK. And he's going to be offered a tremendous amount of money, right? Because he's, he, he, people are going to look, look what he's done to Canada and look what he's done with the Canadian women as well, too, right? That are top five in the world and, uh, and are current Olympic yeah. champions. Turn both right? programs around. And, that, that, you know, and I know it's Priestman won them that medal, but it's Herbin that set, set them up for success. He is going to be a wanted man, in, in, in I think, around the world. And they are, these teams are going to be able to offer him a tremendous, way more money than our friend, you know, at, at their friends at uh, Soccer Canada. So, well, Soccer Canada if we better lose him. If we lose our technical director, then it's going to be someone else doing things probably in a different way. Yeah, and Soccer Canada better find the money, Bubba. I'm telling you, they better because that tournament, part of the games, the number of the games are going to be here in Canada right. in four years. And the one thing you cannot do is as the, as one of the hosts is go into that with your team suddenly all over the place. And maybe you don't make the right pick for a coach. And I mean, it worked out for the women after he left, as you say, they found right. someone who could keep it going, but right. you, I mean, all of a sudden a year before the world cup in Canada, you've changed coaches and things are not going well. That's a disaster. Find it, the it, money it, for it, him. But you know, we've already heard the likes of you know our, uh, the president of Soccer Canada, Hamiltonian Nick Bontis, talking about the fact that there's only so much money to go around, and they want to develop the program. They have other programs that they're you know are at a baby phase right now. They're at a baby stage at the. They want to um, just put sink lots of money into. We're talking about a changing landscape as well too, in terms of financial um, payments to players. Uh, for their likeness and for jerseys and that kind of thing. How much money, I mean, I don't know, you know, if there's government grants or more uh, high-level sponsorship that is going to play a major, major factor as it does. 
but you know they don't get the money that Hockey Canada gets, right? So no, but they might in the four years leading up to a World Cup at home. I, I would think. A, good point. Good point. I would think that for the next four years. Soccer Canada or Canada Soccer should be as flush as it's ever going to be. What happens after four years? No idea. No idea. But I think for the next four years, between sponsorships and everything else, there should be money around because especially after getting there and people seeing it and getting a taste, I think that... I, I, I think they should be able to do it. All right, we got to move on because i got a, just a couple minutes and I want to ask you about something else. And I talked about this on the show a few weeks ago with someone else. And I didn't realize that I was prescient, but uh, apparently I am. Um, the Buffalo Bills play today. They play against uh, New England starting in about an hour and a half or so. Or sorry, in about an hour or so. Um, Von Miller, the guy they signed to a $100 million plus contract this year to come in and be the difference maker. And he has been very, very good. Uh, last week or the week before, tweaks his knees, got some problems with it. He's now on long term. He's out for at least the next four games. I argued several weeks ago that the Buffalo sports fan has a curse upon him or her. (laughs) The Brett Hall skate in the crease, wide right, the Music City miracle, the Thurman Thomas lost helmet. You go down the list. There is a curse on Buffalo sports fans, and this is just the latest. Anything that possibly looks like it may start to go right for a Buffalo sports team will not merely go wrong. It'll go wrong with a swift kick into the solar plexus to be the most uncomfortable way to go wrong possible. This is this fits perfectly with the Buffalo sports narrative. Well, I mean, you know me well. You know you're asking the wrong person for this, right? You know, this kind of stuff affects me big time, both the Sabres and the Bills. But, you know, I would tell you this. I, I, there are reports that, that Von Miller can play, might be able to play, not this, uh, this Sunday, but the Sunday after when they host the Jets. Uh, I would say to you that, you know what, if he is any, even if he's, I, I would just dress him to the playoffs. That's what it matters, right? Uh, we're, we're in a situation, this Bills team, where I think it's going to come down to one of the last weeks of the season between them and the Dolphins for the division. And um, that game, that final game of the season, when those two teams play, I know it's the last game of the season, but near the end of the season, that's pretty much going to decide the, the division. And it's going to be played in Buffalo. And I want to see Miami, uh, who have beaten Buffalo this season in South, in South Beach, an incredible heat that day. I want to see what they're like in the cold in Buffalo, and I favor the Bills in that. So, but wait, isn't that like Canada playing Mexico and Edmonton? Absolutely, but they may, but they, the difference <laughs> is here. The difference is here is that Miami gets their shot in the heat too, and they were successful. I give them credit, right? And under two attacks, I owe this year. They're undefeated, right? So you know, give him. I mean, he's probably an MVP candidate. So I'll give give them credit. But yeah, losing Von Miller is, is yeah for sure. I just—he's got a lot of mileage on him. So if he, you know what, even if he takes a month off, be ready for playoffs. I'll be okay with that. Yeah, maybe. But defense is good enough. But the fact that at Josh Allen and when Josh Allen injured his elbow for, he kept playing through it. But when that happened, that was the first thing that crossed my mind. Was of course Josh Allen would get hurt. Of course he's having an MVP season. The Bills look like a Super Bowl team. Of course the one guy that you can't afford to lose hurts his throwing arm. It has to happen. It's the Buffalo way. Well, and he quite, I'll be honest with you, he hasn't quite been the same since. No. Um, 
uh, you know, his, his interception rate is, is a little higher than, it, than it's been in the past. He's always been very good at protecting the football in terms of turnovers, especially in the red zone or scoring zone. Yeah, lately. And, and he's, he's thrown, you know, I think it's like five interceptions maybe in his last three games. And like I said, unfortunately, many of them, you know, when you're knocking on the door to score points or, you know, they end up settling for field goals, which is not very Josh Allen-like. So, okay, I mean, so he is what he is, man. You are, you are Mr. Buffalo sports fan. I don't know where that came from. I don't believe you were born in North Tonawanda, uh, whatever. But you have become, you have adopted the city of Buffalo as your ancestral home for sports. <laughs> How much alcohol does it take to deal with this on a daily basis that every time the team looks like it can possibly do something well, you know that you're going to be hit in the forehead with a baseball bat? Well, I'll ask you as a Maple Leaf fan. Maybe you might have an answer, right? That's, like, you know, the difference, I, I will, though, I Bubba? Say this to you. In our lifetime, you know, we, we might not have won the Stanley Cup, but we've been to the Stanley no, Cup I know. in my lifetime. That's the haven't. point. That's the point. That's my. That's exactly my point. Leaf fans, they they don't expect good things to happen. So it's it's a dull ache. It's a it's just an ongoing dull ache that nothing. But the Buffalo sports fans always or very often have success. But the failure comes in the most crushing, unexpected, but yet somehow predictable way. You, it, it would be one thing like the Sabres recently, you know, they've missed the playoffs a bunch of years. Okay, so you don't really expect anything, but you know that when they get back in the playoffs, somehow they're going to be eliminated at a crucial time by a blown call. That's just, that's the way it always seems to work or a, a crazy injury to their most. I was always amazed when the Sabres were going good that Dominic Hoshik never had a season-ending injury because that would have fit exactly again with the narrative for a Buffalo kind of thing. You're correct. You know, we, we got robbed even more, though. I mean, even yep. the, the, the in-the-crease rule, which, yep. you know, immediately got changed the next season. <laughs> you mean? What do you say, right? But it, it, it becomes fun. I, they're, com- they're generally competitive teams. It has been tough with the Sabres over the last year, couple of years. I mean, uh, and I wouldn't blame anyone else but the ownership on that. Um, but in its place, there are, are the Bills who have, you know, again, after many years of not making the playoffs, have a contending team. They've got a great coach. Um, their organization under under Bean is, is, is fantastic. But, you know what, just give me competitive, right? Like, be competitive. Yeah, and, I, I was know, a... After years of being dominated by that Tom Brady fella, yes. it's good to see the Sabres, uh, not Sabres, the Bills, uh, you know, playing this team, us Patriots team very well now. I was a huge Bills fan back in the early 90s during the Super Bowl years and lived all, yep. every ounce of the pain of those. My son, who's in his 20s, has now become, in the last number of years, become a huge Bills fan. And it's kind of it's kind of almost a father-son bonding thing. Last year, what happened in the playoffs with Kansas City, that now he gets to experience the same pain that once upon a time I did. We now have that in common as a bond. The, the Bills and Buffalo sports have driven stakes into our heart at one time or another. It's a, it's a family thing. It's a lineage thing. It's, 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 it's what fathers pass on to their sons now, if you follow Buffalo sports. Well, if you want to, if you want to teach him a good lesson, what you've gone through, what I've gone through for even longer, because I go back to the Ferguson and Joe Cribbs days, right? And um, 
I, I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. It's an ESPN four. Uh, oh, four, the Four Falls of Buffalo. The Four Falls of Buffalo, and and fantastic. And I would tell anyone, especially people in our area, you know, that experience that run of four straight going to four straight Super Bowls, which I believe will never happen ever again. Agreed. Um, that special, you know, is just. It lights out. That's great. Not great journalism, great shot. It's the way it's shot. Great everything. It is. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And, and it just gives you a great look. And the best part about that for me, Scott, is the fact that, you know, you were talking about a time where people all over North America just didn't want to see the Bills in a Super Bowl all over ever again, right? But how the negative feelings of those teams turned into a positive those te- those teams, I believe, count me right. I have to count them up here, but in, in my mind, produce seven Hall of Fame players. Yeah, well, including my, a Hall of Fame coach. My son and I went to the Bills home opener this year, and as we were wandering around outside the stadium, among all the tailgates, walking around, we bumped into Thurman Thomas and Daryl Talley, and I made him take a picture with them, even though he wasn't really sure who they were. And I said, "Look, take the picture, come home, and look them up, and you'll be glad you did because." Those guys are unbelievable. Unbelievable players. Just well, high quality. But yeah. tonight, uh, Buffalo Bills in New England, uh, a game that Buffalo must win, and uh, that leads me to believe that something will go horribly wrong. <laughs> okay, we we shall see. Uh, Bob O'Neill, Mister Buffalo. Well, we're going to start calling you yeah. Buffalo O'Neill. That's what we should do. Change the name to Buffalo O'Neill for uh, for the playoff run. Uh, appreciate you doing this. Always uh, great to be on your show. Thank you. Let us take a very quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. When we come back, we'll give you the quiz question again. And then the people's choices for the worst Christmas gifts they've ever received. Not being ungrateful, just being honest. We'll talk about it next. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, we're into December now. So it is safe to begin talking about Christmas gifts for many years until really until the pandemic, when I sort of relented and I threw up my hands and said, ah, you know what, if something brings you joy right now, then do it. But for many years I had said no Christmas in the house until December the 1st, because that seems like an appropriate time not to have overkill. As I say, however, I have given that up recently and our decorations were up a couple weeks ago. However, December 1st, now a safe time to talk about Christmas. Well, came across a few lists of what people said were the worst Christmas gifts they ever received. Thought I would share some of them with you tonight. (laughs) They, They are. Okay, so as I said before the break, some people out there will say, look, anytime you receive a Christmas gift, it is an indication that someone loves you and they are giving you something and to identify something as the worst gift you ever received is ungrateful and missing the point. Basically, most of the time, I am in full agreement with you on that one. Most of the time, I would say that's right. And if, you know, if someone gets you uh, an item of clothing that it's not exactly the one you wanted, but you can see they tried, you know what? Don't go. That's the worst gift. Be appreciative of the effort. However, as you will hear, that is not all, that is not always the case. Um, for example, uh, this one person writes that when I was nine, I have no idea how my parents got the idea that as a gift, I would like to have a cockatiel. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't like birds. I spent the next couple of years cleaning up bird poop. I mean, if you don't like birds and you don't want a bird, that that seems like it's, you know, some people who are either not paying attention to your likes or dislikes, but, but that's a that's a pretty benign one. All right. That's a pretty, you give someone a cockatiel, maybe you still thought, well, they'll grow into a love for birds. When I was nine or 10, I got a six pack of faux turtlenecks. <laughs> Have you ever seen Christmas Vacation with Uncle Eddie? Yeah. In case you don't know, that's a turtleneck shirt with just a turtleneck and maybe five or six inches of cloth under it to tuck under another shirt. <laughs> See, that, I think you're legitimately allowed to say that's a terrible gift. That's a, that, if you're thinking I'm going to give some loved one in my family a six-pack of faux turtlenecks, you need to put more time into your thinking about what that person would like for shopping. Here's another one. And see, women, primarily women, I think will agree with this. Um, this one, the next one, absolutely qualifies. One year, my husband gave me a dustpan, which I still have. Another year, he gave me a toilet seat. <laughs> Those are some strong messages being sent with a gift there. Uh, this one, th- this just sounds like a family that is, is I, I don't know how you explain this. Uh, let me just read this one. This is verbatim. I will never top this one in my lifetime. I was given a three-foot-high stack of maxi pads, the kind you get in a commercial vending machine. (laughs) This was in front of my entire family. I mean, okay, I understand. Necessary, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's something people could use, but is that really the thing you want to open up in front of your entire family? Ladies, I don't know. Uh, I have not been there, but I would guess the answer would be a strong no to that one. Anything to do with bodily functions, I would say probably not a Christmas gift kind of thing. Uh, Here's one. For Christmas a few years ago, my grandmother-in-law was kind and gracious enough to give me an unwrapped DVD of Footloose. <laughs> a, a well-enjoyed second-hand DVD. Those are always good Christmas gifts. Those are always good ones. Uh, like this one. One time my ex-girlfriend got me a gun rack. I don't even own a gun, let alone a number of guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? I think that's a very fair comment. Uh, That one's way too long to read it. Uh, Okay, this one's just cruel. All right, so sometimes it's not just that the idea is bad. Sometimes it's just wrong. I was 11 and I'd asked for a skateboard like all my friends in the neighborhood. This was in the mid-60s, they say. Instead, what I got was an aquarium. (laughs) Not... Fish, not plants, not gravel, just the empty glass box. Of course, my younger sister got a skateboard. (laughs) They either were not listening or they were sending you a message for some reason. Uh, My wife's grandmother. (coughs) Excuse me. My wife's grandmother gave her aunt a recipes for one cookbook. The year of her divorce. That's a that's a little harsh. You're now single. Let me give you a recipes for one book. Ah, that kind of hurts. Uh, let us see. What is this one? Oh, uh, my! 
I had an aunt and uncle who were notoriously bad gift givers. The typical Christmas gift consisted of hair products. One would get a bottle of shampoo. One would give a bottle of shampoo. The other would give the matching bottle of conditioner. Uh, when we usually, and they would say that they usually found these uh, later on with, when they were in the dollar store. They were getting dollar store hair products. That's very nice. When I was about nine, and by the way, when I'm reading these, if you're just tuning in, this is not autobiographical. I mean, it could be, but they're not. Uh, when I was around nine, my mother gave me a self-help book for kids about making and keeping friends. I mean, I know she meant well, but no kid wants to be reminded about their social struggles on Christmas Day in front of the whole family. Good point. Good point. Um, this one, someone says that they were given a, uh, a Crocodile Dundee movie on VHS in 2012. <laughs> where, where do you even find a, a, a VHS tape at that time? Um... Let us see here. Let's go to the next one. Okay. Uh, my ex-girlfriend gave me a book on the history of gunpowder. <laughs> I admit I enjoyed it. It was an interesting read. Problem was I had read it two months prior because she had already given me the same book for my birthday. That's that's a girlfriend that's not really paying too close attention, I would think. Uh, here, this. Okay, so we're talking about worst birthday or worst Christmas gifts. This one, if you're thinking about, if you're a blended family, here is the example of what not to do. This is, this one I read this, this just, this didn't even make me laugh. This made me sad. It was the first Christmas that my father and current stepmother had together. My step-siblings each got a new laptop computer. I got a $20 gift card to McDonald's. <laughs> how, how to be the Cinderella ugly stepsister in the family. That, that's your, that's your hint right there. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, one year I got toothpaste, not because my breath was particularly bad. We just had run out of toothpaste. I can tell you that over the years, I never just got toothpaste, but I, I have received toothpaste as a Christmas gift before. I mean, my parents gave other things, but in a, in a stocking, we got toothpaste. I don't know what the, um. Yeah. Um, let us see here. Uh, oh, this is one. My, my family friend gave me an XXL t-shirt for a college I don't go to. I wear a small. <laughs> you would think that you could at least know what size. This one, this one is just, again, is mean. If you're out shopping for Christmas presents this weekend... Don't do this. My mom, oh, this, I'm just going to read it verbatim. My mom uses Christmas presents to tell us where she thinks we rank in the family. One year she got me a woman's coat. I'm a middle-aged man. <laughs> Another year she got all the grandkids pajamas. She got me the same thing. Kids pajamas size small. I'm six foot one and 200 pounds. <laughs> Uh, that one, see, that one, I don't think that, I think he's missing the point on this one. I don't think grandma is ranking where she thinks people are in the family. I, th I think grandma may have some <laughs> dementia issues. <laughs> Just a thought. If you're if she's given you a woman's coat and you're a six foot one, 200 pound man, um, maybe not. Uh, let's see here. Uh, one year I received a single dish towel. I was eight. 
<laughs> it's I don't know what the point is on that one, but okay. Um, the year that I was really into Green Day and any of the emerging alternative music of the mid-90s, my mom thought she would contribute to my collection. She got really clever and bought me those two alternative music CDs of the mid-90s, one from Tony Braxton and one from Mariah Carey. <laughs> I could just imagine somebody who's into Green Day ripping, no, seeing it's going to be a CD and ripping it open all excited and seeing Mariah Carey. That would be a um, something of a whiff, I would say. Something, something of a whiff. Um, let's see. Uh, someone received an electric toothbrush from the dollar store. Didn't even turn on, they say. That was good. And uh, a couple more here. Vitamin pills and toothpaste. Yeah, that's a good one. This one, I love this one. See, this one I think could be, I think you could chalk this one up to a misunderstanding, maybe an accident, maybe a store mistake. Because if it's not, it's really making a point. I received a Starbucks gift card with $0 balance. <laughs> Here, you can go load it yourself, but you've got the card at least. But aren't they free? Yes, but you can. I'm giving you the head start so you can you can get checked in on that one and, and get going on that one. Um, uh, what else do we have here? This, uh, uh, years ago, I worked for a company owned by the richest man in Minnesota. One year, he gave us all a copy of his book about how he became the richest man in Minnesota. Nah, you know what? That's um, that's making a point of some kind. I'm not sure that uh, that works. Uh, this last one, if you are going out this weekend to buy Christmas gifts for anyone, of all the other things I've said, they've all been bad. But this next one is the absolute worst. Do not do this. This will end any relationship you have with someone. One year for Christmas, I received a case of Slim Fast. <laughs> that is, that is, that is, that is a point that is so obvious and so harsh that yes, it, it will be impossible to not say that's the worst gift, worst gift you've ever gotten. Anyway, there you go. Just some help because people will be shopping this weekend. Your quiz question tonight, in what game, and you could buy maybe this game if you can figure out what game it is. You could buy this game as a Christmas gift. In what game could you peg out? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Your quiz question this evening, first quiz question of December. In what game could you peg out? Ever played cribbage? Cribbage is the game in which you could peg out. Great game. Matt, anyone get this one tonight? Yes. Uh, f- let's, let's do this quick. Frank, Tom, Jackie, Walter, Bob, Paul, Mike, Hugh, Caitlin, Wayne, m- another Mike? Uh, yeah. Maria, Russell, Bonnie, Doug, and Tom. Well done. I knew there would be some cribbage players out there somewhere. Folks, uh, tomorrow I will be on from 12 till 3. It is the launch of the Christmas Tree of Hope. Officially, uh, I'll be on from 12 to 3 after Bill, before Scott. Hope you'll tune in then. Until that time, have yourself a great day. We'll talk to you soon. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.